I've been in really dangerous places, but to be along this route <laughs> where a lot of policemen have been kidnapped in the past, it was really, really scaring for someone like me. It was the middle of October in 2018, and BBC journalist Kunle Balai was filming for a documentary called Inside Nigeria's Kidnapping Crisis. He was cruising his way along one of the most deadly roads in the country, the Abuja-Kaduna Expressway. That route right now has become so dangerous that the politicians in the country are no longer plying that road. Beside him in the car sat an elite group of police officers who had been tasked with taking down kidnapping gangs. These officers were known as the intelligence response team, and Kudle had been given access to their work. We were there with them every step of the way. And when they successfully found one of the suspects, one of their marks, we went there together when they were going to arrest him. That day, they were chasing down a lead when the guy in charge ordered the car to slow down on this super dangerous road. If powerful people are moving on a dangerous road, the normal thing is to speed all the way. It's sort of like an evasive tactic. But I remember that Abakiari specifically told his men not to go beyond, I think, 50 kilometers per hour. Abakiari ran the intelligence response team. He had a reputation for using dangerous and often aggressive tactics to bring in kidnappers. But it worked. Since he'd taken over the unit, they'd arrested countless criminals, including the most dangerous kidnapper in the country. The press had started calling him Super Cop. And now, Kunle was riding along on one of Kiari's missions. And it seemed like the Super Cop had just called for another risky maneuver. I was really scared. Like, why do you move so slowly on a road like this? Kunle turned to Kiari and he asked him, How do you protect yourself in a situation like this? Because it is fair to say that you can be attacked on this road anytime. He just showed me an AK-47 that he kept beside him there in the vehicle. The windows were bulletproof. So he had this opening on the glass where he could point out his gun and basically defend himself. He basically pointed out the gun and said, this is how I protect myself. <laughs> this was Kiari's whole thing. He was undaunted in his pursuit of criminals. And he wasn't about to let a little thing like risking his life get in the way of capturing someone. And a lot of people loved him for it. And that love went further than just admiration. Because here was someone who actually seemed to be on the side of the people, who wanted to make Nigeria a better, safer place. And this perception made Kiari a celebrity in his own right, even beyond just the policing world. I mean, he hung out with pop stars and elites. He won awards, all while remaining humble and dedicated to his work. He became the face of someone who was protecting Nigeria and seemed to want nothing in return. It was cultivated, both through social media and through his relationships with elites and the media and the press. But it, of course, was masking the reality. One of the most decorated cops in Nigeria had something to hide. You might just not be able to guess what. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Chief the podcast where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? Today, the rise and fall of Nigeria's super cops. Growing up in northeastern Nigeria, the eldest of 30 kids, 
Abba Kiari dreamed of one day becoming a cop. He posted a lot about on Facebook that since I can remember, I've always wanted to be a police officer. What everybody says is that they want to make a change. And I guess he believed that he made those changes in his own little way. After university, Kiari enrolled in the police academy and excelled. Within eight years, he rose from being a street officer to a commander. He started really young, and, and he's probably the youngest officer who has ever attained his rank. Kiari spent his days in Lagos trying to catch armed robbers and bandits as the commander of a special anti-robbery squad. The squad was made up of three different anti-robbery units and had become an elite crime-fighting outfit. His team, they patrolled the streets and gather intelligence before making arrests. Their expertise led them to capture a notorious armed robber, someone who had been sitting at the top of the police command's most wanted list for over a decade for killing over 500 people. And under Chiari's watch, they got him. This guy Chiari was fearless. I mean, he won the Medal of Courage three years in a row. The impression you get is that despite all these accolades coming his way, you don't get the impression of him being arrogant or something, which is quite strange. You would assume that someone like him will want to restrict people around him so that he can maintain that celebrity status. But he was open to everyone. In recent years, Nigeria had seen kidnapping skyrocket. No one was safe. Everyone from senior government officials to school children had been taken and held ransom. You might remember, in 2014, a group from Boko Haram kidnapped over 200 girls from a boarding school. And so, in 2015, the intelligence response team was set up to tackle this crisis, and they picked their best guy to be at the helm of this sensitive operation, Abba Kiari. As a result of the name he made for himself, he was drafted by the Inspector General of Police at the time to head a unit called Intelligence Response Team. And that's the unit of the police basically taxed with the responsibility of finding, tracking, kidnappers in the country. Within a year, Kiari was making huge busts. When three girls were kidnapped from a school in Lagos, Kiari and his team were able to use information from the kidnappers' families to track the girls down and get them back unharmed. I remember a particular case of this guy who had been eluding the authority for so long. But Abba Kiari came in and he found and arrested this guy. He was so big that this criminal will ask for ransom of as much as $1 million from the families of his victims. But he brought him to book, and he was charged to court after his arrest. Kiari was getting recognition for his efforts all across the country. He was asked to give speeches at award ceremonies and started rubbing shoulders with the most well-known people in Nigeria. I'm dedicating this award to officers and men of the intelligence response team who has lost their lives directly in the line of duty. And I believe that they are the true heroes, and I'm dedicating this award to them. Thank you very much. Thank you. He had a lot of high-profile people coming around visiting him all the time, and I thought that's normal for someone who was always in the news for arresting these kidnappers and doing this and that, and a lot of them became friends. And I felt, okay, these people, high-profile people who are coming around him are people he has probably helped one way or another. He was pictured with Nigerian pop stars, his Instagram account had thousands of followers, and he remained a hero to the public, a man determined to take down any criminal and clean up a country he loved. 
Kiari carried himself with a calm, nothing-to-hide demeanor. But then people started to get a little concerned. There were reports of extortion and intimidation in Kiari's units. Suspects would go missing in detention. Innocent people would get picked up off the street. And these were all cops under Kiari's lead. They can just come by as you are walking on the road, and they will just come there, stop, and then arrest you, and then take you to their station, and you'll be detained. You won't be allowed to talk or ask why you were being arrested. While the media was extolling Kiari's accomplishments, others started to wonder, was the cop really clean? That's after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. About 10 years ago, Emmanuel Ikule was looking forward to watching some friends compete in a competition. That involved boxing, track, athletics, and all that. The program was holding at Tapiago Stadium. It was a bright sunny day when Emmanuel arrived at the camp hosting the event. It was a big sprawling area outside of town filled with tents and equipment where athletes stayed for days ahead of the competition. When he got there, he noticed that one of his friends wasn't feeling too hot. This particular person was sick. While they were camping, they had no resources on them. So I had to move the person from that spot. Emmanuel offered to take his friend back home to rest. So I had to enter a bus at some point and drop close to IBB Square. We drop at its square where we can, from there, walk since we had no bike uh, motorcycles. This was around 7 p.m. So while we were walking, the person was not too strong. So and I'll take out my back, take uh, walk for some uh, meters and allow the person to sit down. And then I'll take her again. The streets were quiet. They paused to take a rest. There's a gutter, uh, a drainage and just a little space where somebody can rest. So I was standing. While they stood there, they saw a van approaching from the horizon. It looked like it was headed straight for them. As it got closer, they saw the big letters that read, Police. So for me, I was more like, okay, it's the police. I should be happy. Maybe they will actually aid or stick her home. As they pulled over and got out of the van, Emmanuel was about to ask them for help when an officer grabbed them. They were about six to eight in number. One will hold you on your shirt, the other one may grab you by your arm and then forcefully put you in their van. The only thing 
that will make you leave their station is if a relative comes and pays some amount of money. Emmanuel said that the officers made sure he and his friend were isolated at the station and told them that they had to pay a fine if they wanted to go free. I was just quiet. And at that point, I was getting scared because there's no one close by. What if they brand you that you are actually a criminal? And that's the last thing Emmanuel wanted. He'd heard the rumors. A night in a cell could result in beatings, torture, or even death. In our own country, there are a lot of lives that actually have been cut short by security agencies. A lot of young persons that refuse to actually submit to extortion have been shot. Emmanuel decided to pay the bribe. I had to call my brother, who actually came and paid some money before we were allowed to leave for doing nothing, and the person was sick. The police released them, and they made their way home. They were shaken up, but safe. For now, at least. In some communities, it's becoming more like a normal thing. But this is a crime. Their sense of having police is to have that security that, yes, there are people here to defend me, protect me. But then, being the ones committing these crimes is actually not proper. However, Emmanuel's experience wasn't a one-off. It's been the reality for millions of Nigerians for decades. Since the 90s, the police force has been well-known for extorting members of the public. Most Nigerian police are seen by the communities that they interact with as predatory at worst and at best sort of not helpful. Matthew Page is an expert that spent his time researching corruption around the world with a particular focus on Nigeria. He's been one of the U.S. government's foremost experts on the country for over a decade. If you are the victim of a crime or you have some sort of emergency to report Nigeria, you typically would not go to the police because their involvement would often make a situation worse. Or you might, in fact, be arrested or interrogated and accused of the crime that you are the victim of. Local police watchdog groups had kept an eye on Kiari's teams, And they realized those rogue operations from both the Special Anti-Robbery Squad and the Intelligence Response Team were actually more than just risky. They were criminal. In fact, they found that Kiari's men, the guys who were supposed to be keeping folks safe, had spent years making false arrests, torturing, and even killing people. In 2015, Some of Kiari's officers were arrested for torturing and killing a car dealer in South Nigeria. And they also used the man's ATM card to take all of his money. A few years after that, there were accusations that Kiari's officers had killed a kidnapper and then took all of the kidnapper's money and assets. Kiari himself was accused of trying to extort one of the kidnappers he arrested. They're kidnappers. So, yes, they should be held accountable for their actions. But it's not so reassuring that the police are also turning to criminal tactics. And while this was going down, for the most part, no one was really the wiser. He was really, really close to his men. His men trusted him so, so much. And I, and I guess that probably came from the fact that he unpicked them. He unpicked them in a way that he could, I mean, he could get men that he trusted. Kiari always seemed to just shake the accusations off. People who've suffered police abuse rarely speak publicly about it. People find it hard saying anything against the police because they knew very well their lives would be at stake. Where whistleblowers don't have confidence in the system, 
None of this really surprises Emmanuel, the man we met who had been falsely arrested by police. Emmanuel is the national coordinator for the Network on Police Reform Foundation. His organization works with field researchers throughout the country to try to document police abuses. The corruption inherent in the system, the unlawful ar- detention, arrest and detention, or the unlawful or extrajudicial killings or extortion inherent in the system over this number of years, it shows how rotten the system has been over time. And the need for us to actually work towards putting the police back on track. Because the police is a need in the society. While Kiari avoided ever getting tangled up in the accusations against his men, little did he know that he was about to get tangled up in a whole other mess. There is a weak state, weak law enforcement, weak judiciary that can be compromised and co-opted. But also, it opened up racketeering opportunities. Because if you are a cyber criminal who's engaged even a low-level one, and the police begin to turn their attention to you, you have an incentive to kick back funds to bribe the police in order to not focus their attention on you. So you folks may already know a little something about racketeering and online scammers in Nigeria. We heard the story of a very famous scammer a few months ago on this show about the ultra-rich social media influencer Hush Puppy. Well, guess what? He's back. Turns out, one of the many celebrities Kiari rubbed shoulders with was none other than the Gucci billionaire master, Ramon Abbas, a.k.a. Hush Puppy. <laughs> Thank you. If you're friends with uh, someone who is a criminal, one way or another, even if you're claiming that you've got nothing from them, there are lots of questions to answer. That how do you even get close to these people. If you haven't heard the episode yet, go take a listen. But in the meantime, here's a quick rundown. While Hush Puppy was living his best life in front of his millions of Instagram followers, he secretly was making millions by robbing money through this scam called the Business Email Compromise. He'd team up with scammers and North Korean state-sponsored hackers to infiltrate companies, create fake invoices, and get the money paid into their own bank accounts. It was so successful that Hush Puppy was able to live that high life, wearing Gucci head-to-toe and driving around in Rolls Royces. He was also courting powerful people in all corners of Nigerian society, including policemen like Abba Kiari. On a 2019 trip to Dubai, Hush Puppy helped Kiari have a good time in the city. We have no idea whether these two were close, but they definitely had some sort of arrangement. After that Dubai trip, Kiari texted Hush Puppy that he was really happy to be his boy. So maybe it wasn't a total surprise to Kiari that one day in 2020, at the peak of his wealth, Hush Puppy called the police commander with a request. He needed the super cop to help him get rid of a problem. This guy lived in Nigeria, and he asked Abi Kiari to have him arrested We'll find out what Kiari did after the break. It's early 2020, and Hush Puppy had landed a big fish, a Qatari business person who had gotten caught up in an advanced fee scam. The Qatari business person had been looking for $15 million in financing to build a school and thought a Kenyan entrepreneur named Abdul Rahman Juma could help. 
Juma said that he had gotten them the money. But quickly, things went a bit wonky. Despite paying him $164,000 up front, Juma said the financing had gotten stuck and the bank needed another $150,000 to release the funds. And on and on it went. It should come as no surprise by now that Juma was a con man who had just caught a big fish. After fleecing the business person out of $300,000, Juma moved on to the next part of the scheme. Having Hush Puppy impersonate a banker for Wells Fargo and then help launder the money. As part of the scam, Hush Puppy recruited a web designer in Lagos named Vincent Kelly Chibuzo to build a fake Wells Fargo website. There was a guy in Nigeria who, as far as I can tell, he mostly just helped make like fake websites and stuff because they needed fake websites to show, oh, your loan is approved. This is Evan Ratliff, a reporter for Bloomberg who spent months investigating Hush Puppy. They wanted someone they could log into and show the $15 million sitting there in a bank account. Hush Puppy had Chibuzo set up a fake Wells Fargo website that the Qatari business person could log into to check his balance, along with a false automated support line. Jeez, these dudes are detailed in these scams. When the Qatari business person called the support line, they were told that the $15 million loan had come through. It was a miracle. But there was a problem. The business person, he still owed a withholding tax of $575,000 to get the money from the U.S. While Hush Puppy and Juma waited for the business person to take this bait, Chibuzo got frustrated. He felt like he deserved a bigger cut. And what better way to do that than to cut the other two out of the scam? So he went straight to the business person himself. At one point, he just goes to the mark, the Qatari business person being scammed, and says, these guys are scamming you. This guy's fake. I'm real. You should deal with me. I'm the only one who can get the loan. Well, wouldn't you know it? You can't trust scammers. Because it turns out the scammers were even scamming each other. Hush Puppy was pissed. In one message, he told Chibuzo that he'd committed a crime that won't be forgiven. Really, bro? And he turned to his new pal, Super Cop Abakiari, to see if he could help him out. And then he was sort of like, I'm your boy, Abakiari. Like, I'm like, you help me, I help you, essentially, was the nature of the messages. Hush Puppy asked Abakiari to arrest Chibuzo. And that's exactly what he did. He rounded up the web designer and sent a photo of the man to Hush Puppy in January of 2020, saying, We have arrested the guy. In response, Hush Puppy asked him to give Chibuzo the most serious beating of his life, adding, send this boy to jail for a very long time. He asked him to have him beaten. He said he wanted him to suffer abuse. All Kiari said in response to the request was a bunch of laughter. Ha 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 ha. So it's unclear whether Chibuzo was actually beaten, but it's not really a comforting message either way. Held him in jail for, I think, a month and then let him go. Afterwards, Hush Puppy transferred $700 to Kiari's bank account. $700? You're going to do more than that. And as far as the scam went, eventually the Qatari business person walked away. But it was after he had been milked for over $1 million. Finally, he said, I suspect that this is all a scam, you know? And that was it. Meanwhile, in Nigeria, you would have never known that this is what Kiari was up to. 
Around the same time he arrested Chibuzo at the request of Hush Puppy, a photo appeared on his Instagram showing him at a press conference announcing the arrest of 60 kidnappers. Nigeria police will never relent, the caption read, in the fight against these deadly criminals. Kiari had it locked down, or so he thought. To the public, he was still super cop, a national hero. He was able to stop crime and maybe even get a little something for himself on the side. And no one would really be the wiser. I mean, who's really going to question super cop? But that all came crashing down pretty quickly. The People's Democratic Party, PDP, has demanded a thorough investigation into the allegation of bribery brought against celebrated detective and deputy commissioner of police, Abba It's an embarrassment, a complete embarrassment to Nigeria, to the Nigerian police. It should be a wake-up call. It will not be possible for privileged, well-positioned police officers to abuse the system in the manner in which it has been indicated. On the story of the one celebrated supercop, Abakiari, who is now in NDLA custody. The FBI arrested Hush Puppy in June of 2020. And a year later, when the U.S. Department of Justice announced that Hush Puppy had pled guilty to money laundering, they had another pretty big announcement. They were indicting Kiari for aiding in conspiracy to commit fraud for taking a bribe to detain the website designer. After the news came out, the Police Service Commission suspended Kiari. Kiari defended himself on Facebook, claiming that Hush Puppy had reached out, but not to ask him to arrest anyone. Instead, he just wanted some advice. Fashionista to fashionista. He had been inspired by a sick outfit Kiari had posted on Instagram and wanted to buy it for himself. In fact, according to Kiari, everybody got it wrong. The $700 Hush Puppy sent, it wasn't a bribe to Kiari, but actually a payment Kiari gave to the clothes seller. Ah, it all made sense now. Supposedly, Hush Puppy even had the clothes picked up from the police station. Yeah, you're gonna have to do a little better than that, bro. And as you'd expect, the story didn't really fly. When the news of Kiari's indictment broke in Nigeria, the reaction was a mixture of shock and anger. You see someone who we can say has been putting in the work, who has shown consistency, who has shown excellence. You now hear this sort of thing. It just sort of confuses a whole lot of human beings. This is the best person that has ever come out of this unit. Now, look at what he has got himself involved in. Who watches the watchman? This man is a celebrated super cop in this country. Generations yet unborn are being swayed by the level of fraud and corruption in this country. For some, this was just a confirmation of what they already suspected. For others, they couldn't believe that this guy who they thought was on their side, the same guy who had put away some of the most dangerous criminals in the country, was in on the action too. Turns out, he was just as corruptible. One the impression is that you can't be in the Nigeria police and be an outstanding citizen. For a lot of people who had seen him that way, like, oh, this guy is a hero, it was sort of like confirming what people have always thought, like, yes, you see, you see what we've been talking about. No one can actually be a part of this police force and remain clean. And that actually increases the distrust of the police. But the super cop wasn't done there. It was a winter day in Nigeria, and Abba Kiari got into a car. 
While on suspension, the former super cop was gearing up to make a little cash. Inside the car was an undercover agent who had enticed Kiari into setting up a drug deal. In February of 2022, the National Drug Law Enforcement Agency in Nigeria released a video of Kiari going over the details of the deal, which was to split and sell 25 kilograms of cocaine they had seized. He suggested that they leave some for prosecution, but sell most of the drugs. He also boasted about how loyal his men were. And with this evidence, the drug agency arrested Kiari for his alleged involvement in a cocaine smuggling cartel. Drug smuggling while on suspension. That takes some kahunas right there. Was it worth it? Seems like his reckless streak was hard to stop. Here was a guy who did a lot to stop terrible crime in Nigeria. And then he turned around and abused innocent and not-so-innocent people around him. The temptation to join in with the corrupt system proved to be too much for him. It's hard to, to survive in a system that is, that is really, really bad, a system that is corrupt, a system that is dirty. It is really, really hard to survive. It, it takes a personal conviction, a personal uh, endeavor to ensure that you stay far, far, far away from anything that is questionable. And I think that's something that he didn't do. I think he just basically embraced that questionable world. There are a lot of people who go into politics and law enforcement with a genuine heart to change things for the better. A lot of us pessimistically see those institutions as right for corruption. And it's not only in Nigeria. We see that in the United States as well. The question is, is it possible to have a genuine heart and objective to clean up a dirty system without getting dirty yourself? We all know the saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Is that the case here? I mean, you may walk into a world where you have the conviction and the power to do good, but is that conviction strong enough to overcome the temptation to abuse that power? Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. The company was going to go under. What's going to happen to all the borrowers? All these people closing on these loans. And then there's all of these employees. What's going to happen to them? And it felt to me like I would be able to fix everything. Failure at that point was not an option. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by George McDonough. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich.
The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Assemblies and scoring by Sabina Singani. Engineering and sound design by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Special thanks to the Sony legal team. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. <laughs>